0: God's word, if you turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32. We're going to only look at one verse of scripture to begin with, and that's verse 7. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 7. We'll be covering out to the rest of the chapter throughout this message. Exodus chapter 32, starting at verse 7. And here the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down. For thy people, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. Lord, we're asking for your help. Lord, you know what we have prepared to preach. And Lord, we just want to follow your leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us understand the best that we can. God, uh, just illuminate the scripture. And may you receive any glory from this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we began this message, the Church of the Golden Calf. This will be part number two of the Church of the Golden Calf. And what we're doing here, we're looking at this scripture from the book of Exodus of how God's people had turned their back on him and Moses, their leader, and had worshipped a false idol. And we've, we've been looking at the comparison between the children of Israel in that day and the church of today, the modern day church. And how a lot of this corruption has entered into what is now, people are claiming to be a church, is, is actually a form of idol worship. And so as we continue this thought today, uh, we see here the spiral of apostasy. The children of Israel had spiraled down into, uh, they had went, it, it's been a short time since they left Egypt. It's not been that long. Moses has been gone for 40 days and 40 nights at this point that we're talking about right now. And in that time period, they've already decided to give up on him, and give up on God, and just apostate themselves. And so they come to Aaron, who is their spiritual leader at the time, because Moses is gone and Joshua is gone. And so they come to Aaron, the high priest, and they command for him to build them a, a god, and so they can worship a god and give all the credit to everything that happens to them to this idol that they have him to build. And Aaron gives in. And this is sinful. And the Bible tells us this. We see that God had was going to destroy Aaron because of what he did. And Moses, again, interceded on his behalf. But uh, we see how they claimed this idol to be part and incorporated it into their corporate worship service. Uh, Aaron actually built an altar in front of this golden calf. And they began bowing down to it. They began worshiping. But they were worshiping in a totally different way than they did the Lord God Jehovah. They changed their uh, their music style. They're, they were singing in such a way that Joshua, hearing it from far away on the side of the mountain, didn't understand what it was. He thought they were at war. It sounded so strange. And Moses had to tell him, "No, it's nobody's at war. Uh, they're singing down there, and they're naked, and they've corrupted themselves." And then, as as we see the influence of their pagan. Neighbors, uh, the the Malachites that were still living in that area, they worshipped in a strange way, such as this. They bowed down to foreign gods and idols. The Egyptians, where they'd been in bondage for 400 years, that's the way they worshipped. And so naturally, they started gravitating toward this sinful way of worship. And so they changed their music style. They changed the way they dressed. They took their clothes off. They didn't come before the Lord God, as his his altar, uh, naked. In fact, God commanded they cover up. He didn't want to see their nakedness. And they also changed their style of worship. So those things, the, the music, the dress, and the style of worship, these are very important in a church setting. And these are the things that start breaking down when you start allowing the world into the church, when you start allowing the influence of the world come into the church. Your music's going to change first. They're going to get rid of your hymn books. We sung nothing but hymns this morning. I mean, hymn after hymn. Those wonderful, great old hymns. And they'll, they'll get rid of those first because those are out of style. They're outdated. Nobody wants to sing those, Brother Byron. We want to sing this new contemporary. There's a reason the word temporary is in that kind of music. Because it's temporary. And it's it gives them a temporary satisfaction to the fleshly desires they have. Their carnal um, lust for that kind of Sound the beat, uh, the the instruments, the sound that it makes. And so what they've done, they take their focus off of worshiping God, praising God, and they're heaping it upon their own lust to want their flesh pleased. Now that is not worship. That's not God worship. That's self-worship. Church worship, to come to worship the Lord, is to praise Him. It's not to get some type of feeling of satisfaction for yourself. Nothing in scripture do we find where the worship of God involves involves pleasing our carnal nature. But yet that's what most churches have turned into. The the style of music is more like the world's music, the rock, the beats, uh some churches having pure country music in the church. All this is to to appease the appetite of their flesh because they like it. Hey, I like to hear it too. It it's it's a draw. And so, you know, I'll try to stray away from as much as that as I can, but uh, it's still, it does not belong in the worship service. It has nothing to do with the Lord. And so, as we pick back up here in verse 7 of Exodus 32, I know we covered that last time, but we're going to look at, through this briefly until we get to that part where we left off last time, where Moses was going to, he ground up the, the golden calf and was going to put it in their drinking water and make them drink it. And we'll get to that part here in just a little bit, but... Let's look at verse seven again the Lord said unto Moses go get thee down for thy people which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves So here God tells Moses before he even goes and sees all this of what's happened they've corrupted themselves to corrupt yourselves means that you've given in to to sin you've corrupted yourself you're no longer any it's got no longer anything to do with God. And so they build a false idol, they're worshiping a false god, and they're engaging in a sinful, sexual type of worship style. It's a, a for lack of terms, orgy is what it's it's referred to, it's called. And so they incorporated this golden calf in their worship service, and they're eating, drinking, getting drunk. The Bible said they rose up to play. And that word, if you look at it and see everything that's based upon, that word play indicates that it was a, uh, a drunken type of, Carousing is what that that implies. And so this is much different than what they were used to or what they're supposed to be doing or what God's told to do. Uh, After they were led out of Egypt's bondage and crossed over the Red Sea, remember that? They get on the other side and they're celebrating and everything. Exodus 15, uh, verse 1 and 2 says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto thee, Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him and habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Do you see how different that is than what they're doing now? Bowing down to a false God and, and attributing their freedom to this false God. That's what they said. That this God had brought them out of, out of bondage. And so how different it is when they first got out of bondage and crossed over that sea and on the other side, everything is strictly praising God, exalting God. It was all about Him. It wasn't about them. The only reference to themselves is that they they are saved because God was their salvation. Other than that, it's all uh, directly pointed toward God and praising Him. So things have changed since that. And that's not been that long since this happened. Look at verse 8, they have turned aside, this is still the Lord speaking to Moses, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, they have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, there it is, God tells him, he says, they're, they're claiming that this God they built is led them out of Egypt, uh, verse 9, and the Lord said unto Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, this is the first of many different times the children of Israel are referred to as stiff-necked. That word stiff-necked is a term that's used in the Bible often by people who are stubborn and self-willed. They're obstinate. They refuse to be obedient to the Lord. And um, it has the thought behind it of trying to put a yoke on an animal that's resisting. If you've ever tried to put a yoke on a, on a, on a horse or a, uh, a mule or a, anything like that, and they resist, they, they stiffen their neck up so that you can't do anything. And so you have to break them to get them to bow that head down so you can put that yoke upon them. Well, that's what God is saying here. These people are stiff-necked. They, they're defiant against me. And so people that are stiff-necked, they're not going to bow down their head and be humble before the Lord. They're stiff-necked. It reminds me of that picture of our former President Obama that you see a lot of times. He's looking up like this with that that look of superiority. that stiff neck And that's what the the United States has turned into, a bunch of stiff-necked people. Um, You know, people, you can preach the Word of God, say this is what God's Word says, and they'll go, they'll stiffen that neck up. Well, I'm not going to listen to that. I'll go to a church where they don't talk about this kind of thing. I'll go down here to this church. All they talk about is God's love. I don't want to hear this all this stuff that he's saying. We've got them today. Stiff-necked people. And so, and look at verse 10. Now therefore, let me alone. It's still God speaking to Moses. Therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. Well, we read that God has told Moses to, look, Moses, just leave me alone, and I'll take care of these people. I'll destroy them, and I'll raise you up as a nation. He did that with Abraham, remember? He made Abraham the father of many nations. He rose him up. He separated him out of the Ur of Chaldees, out of the pagan worship, and made him the father of many. He he will do the same with Moses here. I'll just, I'll just wipe them off the face of the earth, and I'll start a new people with you, you know? And he says, "Let me alone." I believe what he's saying here. Don't try to intercede on their behalf. Don't you, you know? Don't come over here whining again and and asking me not to do this. But listen, I believe the real thing behind this is God's giving Moses an opportunity to be the leader that he needs to be. And so and we'll see that as we look at the next verse. Look at verses eleven through thirteen. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said. Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So Moses is not not letting the Lord uh, uh, alone. The Lord says, let me alone, you know. Leave me alone and I'll take care. Moses says, wait a minute, God, but wait, wait, wait. And so he's not going to give up. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I've spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. So Moses is, of course, reminding God, God don't need to be reminded. But Moses is making a case here for the people. He says, hang on, God. He said, now, you led those people out of Egypt's bondage. Now, what are the Egyptians going to say if you destroy them, that you just brought them out just so you could kill them? Is, is that what they're going to do? And and he says, now, remember the promise that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, Israel. Uh, he says, you said you were going to make of them a, a, a great people here. you are seed. And so these people are their seed. Are you saying you're going to destroy all these people? And so he's just making the case here. And this is one of the best and clearest examples of intercessory that you'll find in all the Bible interceding on other people's behalf. Listen, you can be an interceder or intercessor. I'm saying it wrong. Intercessor for people today through your prayers. Someone that that doesn't know how to pray, or maybe they're, they're just something going on in their life and they're unable to pray. And you can pray on their behalf to the Lord and intercede for them. Now, of course, the Lord Jesus is the one. He's the one that's between God and man. He makes intercession for us with God. So we plead to Jesus and we can intercede on other people's behalf. There's a lot of people that has great intercessory prayer and that's their ministry. But uh, Moses is the greatest example. He makes a defense for the people and makes the case if God destroys them after all, that he's done here. Uh, what's the enemy going to say? Verse 14. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Okay, so because of Moses' intervention here. God answers Moses' plea by granting him what he asked for. It says the Lord repented. That does not mean he apologized. It don't mean he said, I'm sorry. He don't mean anything like that. That's not what this word means here. This word repented actually means to turn from into something else. That's the same way as when we get saved. We turn from being a sinner and turn to Christ to save us. God is just turning from what he, was, he said he would do. And he's turning to something else. He says, okay, I won't do that. I'll do this instead. And so... That word repent right there. Don't make, don't think God has to repent for anything. He does not. And so he's turning from one thing into another. And he's going to allow them to live. Now make sure, now not everybody's going to live. There's going to, there's going to be some things go on. We're going to see it. Now make sure you understand that God did not command that he was going to destroy the people. It didn't say it there in verse 10. He it says this. It says now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make a great nation. He doesn't say Moses, I am going to destroy them. Get out of the way. I'm doing it. And and that's all there is. He did not say it. It wasn't a commandment. It was just him implying I will do this, you know? I might do this. I can do this. And so it wasn't a commandment, so God didn't withdraw a commandment. Uh he just I personally believe God is testing Moses here. I believe He's allowing him to be the leader that He needs to be to stand up here. There's a reason God chose Moses out of everybody else to, to, uh, to bring His children out of, out of bondage and to, to lead them. He chose Him for a reason. And this is why. Anybody else would have just gave up on Him. I would have if he chose me to lead these people and I was up there communing with God and God says listen your people down there they are, they're all naked they're, they're drunk and they're, they're worshiping idols and I'd say kill them they're worthless they'll never be any good and if God told me to get out of the way leave me alone and I'll destroy them and make you great I'd say, that sounds good to me I think that'd be a lot better and most people would as well but Moses he loves these people And he wants to do the right thing here. And so he intercedes. Verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mount. And the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God given upon the tables. So here Moses comes down. God's told him what's happened. He's carrying these tables of stones. And notice it said it's written on both sides. A lot of times we see the pictures depicting those tables and it's only on the one side, all these commandments they were on both sides. I believe it was two copies, two sets of the Ten Commandments, five on the front and five on the back. I believe that's what it was on each tablet. But, you know, it doesn't say precisely. But he comes down here with God's law written upon these stone tablets. Verse 17, And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is noise of war in the camp. Now, we've already covered this already a couple of times. The the noise was so strange, Joshua didn't didn't understand what was going on. He thought they were at war. Joshua, being the commander-in-chief of the army, needed to get down there and and start leading the army. I mean, it's it's getting out of hand. But he's been waiting on Moses. He's faithful. He's been waiting on him for these 40 days to come down. He's not been down there in that mess with all those people doing all this. And so... Uh, they've engaged in this idolatry and this man Joshua he's a faithful man and uh, he notices the difference in their worship verse 18 and he said this is Moses speaking and he said it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome but the noise of them that sing do I hear so Moses he knows what's going on already Uh, God's told him and so he tells Joshua. He says, "Listen, there's not a war down there. It's not a, not a battle. Um, they're singing, and uh, it's not the proper type of singing." Verse nineteen. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh to the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. Now, even though God had already told him them, told him all this, and even though he was Of course, upset before he even seen it. When he saw it, man, you talk about somebody that was upset. He is so angry, righteous anger, that he throws those tablets down and breaks them. And as I explained last time, this is a symbol of the broken commandments of God. And so I believe he did this on purpose in front of the children of Israel to show them they have broken God's commandments. And we don't, as I mentioned already, we don't see where God ever rebuked him for doing this. God didn't say, "Moses, I'm going to destroy you now for for breaking those tablets that I wrote with my own finger." No, He didn't say that. In fact, Moses is is the only one here. Moses and Joshua are the only one that's in the clear, and we're going to see a few of the of the, uh, the tribe of Levi are as well. But so Moses is uh, breaks these um, these tablets of uh, commandments, verse twenty, and he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Now that's where we stopped off last time before we got to this verse. And so all this other was just just the beginning. We won't be much longer. So here we find Moses taking this calf. And as I explained, I believe this was probably a, a wooden structure that's been gold plated. I can't say that for sure, so don't go away and say, Bro Burns said that wasn't a solid gold calf. Yeah. It may have been solid gold. We don't know how big it was. I've got a, a picture up here on our kiosk trying to send, or show what it may have looked like. It probably wasn't anything like this. And it's got a big old golden bull up on top of a, of a, a pile of stones, and people staying around worshiping it. It may have been like that, and there's the altar over here on the side with fire on it. <laughs> Uh, But it may have been like that or it may have been one of those huge ones that stood up like those idols that we see with the big bull head on it and the the body. It could have been that or it could have been a smaller one. We don't know. But we do know that they've taken all the gold that they could get their hands on and and Aaron had melted it down and made a molten calf. And so whether he took a wooden structure because it said that he had crafted it, I believe, And so whether he did that and imported it over the top or or however it happened, they're worshiping this golden idol. And so Moses takes it, and apparently he has some method to be able to file this stuff down, this gold down, to make it into powder and grind it. I don't know what that method was. I've studied on this, and I've seen a few different people's suggestions of what it could have been. Some say that it was they had a... A type of a grater, kind of like a, like we think of a cheese grater or something like that. And he ha- was able to file it down into fine powder or whatever. Um, I don't know. It says it burned it in the fire. So I'm assuming he melted it and then somehow broke it up in, into pieces and, and was able to crush it and make powder uh, out of it. And what he did is he took and put it in the, in the brook that they got their water from it doesn't mean he like took like a a glass like tang and put it in the thing and stirred it up and made them drink it Uh, he threw it in the brook there and the the water was then corrupted and poisoned or it was corrupted with this this gold and he caused them to drink this he made them drink it now they couldn't expect to sin and get by with it and have no repercussions there's going to be repercussions big ones and um What this is, I believe what Moses is trying to do here by completely destroying this idol and making them consume it to prove to them and show to them that this idol was nothing but a man-made pile of of dung. Because now when they consume it, they're going to, they're going to, it's going to come back out, but it's going to be waste. Uh, There's not a pretty way to say it. Um. I believe that's the what's being indicated here. It's it's going to be turned to feces. So your idol that you bowed down to and attributed your freedom out of Egypt's bondage and said that they've done that idol done everything for you. Well, you know what? It's nothing but a pile of poop. I believe that's it. So I want, I want to pause right here for a moment, and, and I want you to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter nine and verse seven. Deuteronomy nine and verse seven. And I want us to look at uh, down through verse 21. All right, now this is a a recount of what's going on. Uh, It starts there in verse 7 of of Deuteronomy 9. (coughs) Remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt. Until you came unto this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights, I neither did eat bread nor drink water. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written in the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of the forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly, for hence for thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way in which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mount and the mount burned with fire and the two tables of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked and behold you had sinned against the Lord your God and had made you a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord had commanded you. And I took the two tables and cast them out of my two hands and brake them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as it At the first 40 days and 40 nights, I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins, which you sinned and doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure, wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And I took your sin, the calf which you made, and burned it with fire, and stamped it and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust. And I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. And so we see there, I'm going to stop off reading in Deuteronomy there. We see there some very important things. First of all, of course, God's going to destroy, the, he said he'd destroy the people. But that, that mention of Aaron, uh, see, we didn't read that back in the, in the, uh, the, the original account. But Moses said God was going to destroy Aaron as well, and I had to pray for him too. But then we see also the strawing of the the dust of the gold into the brook. And so that's where they get the drinking water, and that's how they were going to drink it. So um, go back now to Exodus 32 and pick back up in verse 21. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? So, now Moses starts questioning Aaron on why he did this. He doesn't understand how in the world this could have happened in such a short time, how his own brother and spiritual leader of the camp would do this. I mean, why? Aaron, what happened? Did they threaten to kill you? Uh, what happened? Did they, did they pay you to do this? I just, i got to understand. So, look at verse 22. Aaron gives a defense. Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mission. All right. So first of all, we see he's, he's putting the blame entirely upon the people. He doesn't want to take the blame here. And so, oh, Moses, you know how they are. I had to do it. You know, I, they're just so stubborn and they just wouldn't have any other way. So I, I, I did. it. So he's making excuses. And you know, I'm really, I get so disappointed in Aaron when I read about this. Instead of taking responsibility and admitting to his error and saying, Moses, I, I, I gave in. I sinned. You know, I need forgiveness. Instead of doing that, uh, he wants to blame the people. They are set on mischief. Now, it is true, they were set on mischief. But he's a high priest. Of anybody that was there, they should have had enough about them, about the Lord, to take responsibility and and have leadership and not allow such a thing to happen. Moses would not have allowed this. Moses would have himself started taking people out before he let them build a calf. Uh, And rightfully so. And so it would be kind of like me as pastor of the church and people come to me and saying, we want you to build us a false idol so that we can worship it in our services. And me saying, okay let me keep being your pastor, I don't want to upset you. There's a lot of these kind of pastors today. They'll do whatever the people want to do, whether or not it's right or wrong. And uh, listen, you can't be that way. The pe- some people are so afraid of losing their, their position, losing their paycheck. Uh, listen, that's ridiculous. This is not about about us. It's about the Lord. And so, when a pastor allows the congregation to dictate what he can say or what he can do or uh, anything like that, he needs to leave if he's in that that kind of place. And if he's allowing it to happen, those people need to run him off. Those people need, the right people need to get out of that church if they're allowing this to go on. But there's a lot of it going on today. I've heard of a lot of pastors giving in to the, the will of the people. I heard one pastor giving out surveys asking people what they thought he ought to preach. What in the world? Alright. Back to verse 23. For they said unto me, this is still Aaron talking, Make us gods which shall go before us, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. Then I cast it into the fire, and there... Came out this calf. Wow, Moses. All I did was ask them to melt down their gold. I threw it in the fire. Next thing I know, this calf moved out of there. He forgot all about where the Bible said he crafted it. No, Aaron sat down and took time with each intricate detail and formed this molten calf out of this gold. And so, listen... Uh, He's leaving out a lot of the details of, of everything that happened here. Still trying to deflect blame from himself. I didn't do it, Moses. I just threw it in the fire. And here come a calf. I threw it in there. And come out. Right. All right. Verse twenty-five. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies. All right, now, some people here claim that this is implying spiritual nakedness. No, 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 no. They are spiritually naked, for sure. That's not what this is implying at all. I believe in in interpreting the Bible literally where it's possible. And right here is very possible where it says the people were naked. They didn't have any clothes on. They were nude. All right? Nude and rude. And so... um, this word naked, actually, it means to expose, to uncover, and to make bare. Now, certainly, their sins have been exposed and made bare, uh, but their bodies have too, exactly like the Bible said, And where it says there that Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies, what that means is because Aaron allowed this and orchestrated the whole thing, he's allowed their enemies to see them uh, indulging in this. It's a shame to them. Those Amalekites that still lived in the land, you better believe they were sitting up on the rocks above all of them watching. Hey, come here and look at these crazy, you know, the children of Israel down here. They're all naked and they're drunk and they're running around, doing all kinds of stuff. And so it was to their shame. And Moses knows this. He knows this is an embarrassment. These people have been led out saying that the Lord God Jehovah is their God. And these were people that are supposed to stand on morals and values and godly things. And here they were indulging in, in sinful, wicked activities. It's a shame to them. Okay, look at verse 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Uh-oh. Where's everybody else? Only the sons of Levi came. That's where Moses is from, by the way, is the tribe of Levi. And so all these Levites come. Apparently they didn't participate in this. They're the spiritual worship leaders also of the children of Israel. God makes that tribe the, the spiritual tribe, the the the, um, the pastorly tribe. Uh, so uh, these uh, these Levites come forth and says, "Yes, we're on the Lord's side. You can count on us. We don't see that anybody else comes on the Lord's side." I wonder, today how many people that call, claim to be Christians, if you put them in a certain predicament, or if you found out something about them, and you stood up and said, "I'm on the Lord's side. Who who's with me? Who's on the Lord's side?" How many of them have to bow their head in shame and embarrassment? Don't want to be seen by their friends saying, I'm on the Lord's side. Me. It's me. you know. Whoever's on the Lord's side, raise your hand. You know, how many of them going to do that? Here we got a bunch of people here in this camp, thousands of them, that's corrupted themselves. They're not going to come forward. So look what happens. Verse 27. He said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about three thousand men. Well, things just got real we see just how severe the sin was of these people. Moses directs this Levites, the priestly tribe. That's the word I was trying to find a while ago, the priestly tribe. He directs them to slay those that participated in this idol worship. Now, do you remember when Aaron broke off the earrings out of the ears? It was the women, the children, the girls, and the boys. But it didn't ever say the men and the husbands. This is the men and the husbands that's dying here. Because they were supposed to be the ones that stood up and said, we aren't going to participate in this. But they didn't. They went right along with it. And so what happens? They die. They were the worst of the worst. They might have been the ringleaders here. These men that were slain because of this. There was a lot more there that participated. We see that in the next verses. It wasn't just this uh, 3,000 or about 3,000 men. There was more that participated. These were selected uh, by the Levites to take out. Look at verse 29. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Now, I want you to take notice that last time we mentioned that Aaron didn't mention the fathers uh, that time and the husbands. Uh, But it has gotten so bad at this point, we see that Moses places the responsibility of those husbands and fathers he re- replaces that on their shoulders. He tells them to consecrate themselves. To consecrate means to feel, to devote oneself. And so he's telling the men here, Devote yourself to the Lord if you want to receive a blessing. Verse 30, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. So now that Moses has been in the camp and seen just how serious their sins were, and uh, he's heading back up to the mountain to talk to God again because he knows this was so bad, God rightfully should have destroyed them all. And so he's going to go back up there and plead to God say, God, I had no idea how bad this was. This is horrible and pleasing. And so he's going to beg and plead for mercy on these people. Verse 31. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Listen, Moses is so, I mean, he's he's pleading on their behalf so much. He's saying, God, if it, if it means me losing out on my hope of salvation, if you want to blot me out of your book, and, and cast me away then do that but don't don't destroy all these people please God wow you talk about somebody standing up and being an intercessor friends that's some sacrifice right there I dare to say it'd be hard for me to ever make that kind of sacrifice for a bunch of sinful people and I'm just telling you the truth today if you want to stand up and tell me you'd do it I'm sorry I have to call you a liar I have to um we see the Lord Jesus would do that. Moses here claims that he would. But uh, listen, to give your life for a bunch of sinful people that's defiantly sinned against God and you, they pointed Moses out and said, We ought not want to come to this guy. Yeah. But listen, look, we'll finish out here, verse 33 and uh, through 35. The Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they had made the calf which Aaron made. So the Lord doesn't take Moses upon his offer here to be a substitutionary sacrifice for these people. Instead, he's going to dole out punishment upon the individual sinner each one. It's not Moses' place to take their punishment for what they deserve. This should be a reminder to all of us. When you sin, it's your sin. You've sinned against God. Any punishment or repercussions are on your shoulders. Not somebody else. Somebody else is not going to step up and say, I know they messed up, but you know, punish me instead. The Lord Jesus did. The Lord Jesus stepped up It said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Lord Jesus came and sacrificed his own life for these kind of people. So we need to remember, our sins are our sins. And we're responsible for our sins. The Bible says that if we would pray that God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and our unrighteousness. So, look. I can't I can't be any more plain today. this message from the Old Testament of all places, you know and Andy Stanley claims that you need to unhitch yourself from the Old Testament but that's in the past and uh, that doesn't no longer apply. Oh goodness. I don't think he ever was hitched up. Uh, we can't unhitch from the Old Testament. This is truce for today all this that God shows us of how he what he thinks about sin the repercussions for sin how severe that it is and we need to remember that yes we have forgiveness we have the grace of God we have Jesus who died on the cross to save us but listen God still sees sin the same way he didn't suddenly start seeing sin as much not not as worse not as bad Or a lot lighter now. Oh I know back in the Old Testament I used to really hate that sin. But you know I've kind of gotten used to it. Now the New Testament's out. And you know that sin's not so bad to me anymore. No. The Bible says God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so he still sees sin, all sin, the exact same way. Now we do have forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. And thank the Lord for that. Because without it. You and me, anyone listening to this, anybody that has breath in their body today would have to die, go to hell, and pay for their sins forever for eternity. I'm thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that made it possible that he took our punishment and that we don't have to. Oh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the truth and the application here. Lord, that we understand that your word is written down forever. Lord, it's everlasting. It's for our good. And Lord, we pray today that we'll consider and understand just how severe our sin is and how you see our sin. God, that we would not be that stiff-necked people. Lord, I'm praying for those today that have never been saved. Lord, that individual that may be listening to this right now, God, whether it's live or, or later when they listen to the recording or watch the video, Lord, that person that's not been saved, Lord, if, they, if you would open their eyes, open their heart to, to make them understand they will die one day and go to hell to pay for the sins that they've committed. Lord, even the smallest little lie, the little fib that they've told, Lord, is a sin. That they'll have to pay the penalty for. God, I pray for them. That they'll be saved before it's too late. Thank you, Father, for all your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I tell you what, this has been an eye-opening couple of messages. One that we need to hear more about today. Uh, Instead of, you know, anything goes is the mentality today. We need to say what God says goes. I had a, a whole another verse of scripture here I was going to read out of 1 Corinthians if you want to write this down. Look it up later. This is the Apostle Paul giving the account himself of this uh, of what happened there and warning the church of Corinth about what it means uh, to sin against God and how they don't need to follow in the same footsteps as the true individual. It's all there. 1 Corinthians 10 1 through 12. First Corinthians 10, 1 through 12. Read that, and you'll see that it applies to the message today. All right, are all hearts and minds clear this morning? Well, in fear of the Lord, we're separated.